We can turn back now to the Word of God, to the Song of Solomon in chapter 3. And we are going to uh, take our text this evening from chapter 3 and from verse 9. King Solomon made himself a chariot of the wood of Lebanon. He made the pillars thereof of silver, the bottom thereof of gold, the covering of it of purple, the midst thereof being paved with love for the daughters of Jerusalem. Go forth, O ye daughters of Sion, and behold King Solomon with a crown, wherewith his mother crowned him in the day of his espousals, in the day of the gladness of his heart. We will consider these words as the Lord enables us this evening. The Song of Solomon is a book that speaks of mutual love between the Lord Jesus Christ and sinners of mankind. And it is a love that is rooted in the very heart of God himself. And it is that love that is rooted in the heart of God himself that is the cause of their love to him. You and I know that no sinner is born into this world generally uh, with love in his or her heart for the Lord that love has to be put in the heart because, as we are by nature, there is not the slightest bit of love for the Lord, only hatred in the heart of man towards God. And we were singing about that in Psalm 2 and how the kings and the princes of the earth set themselves against him and against his divine authority. That is the kind of people that we are in ourselves, each and every one of us, as we come into this world. We are born in sin and shapen in iniquity. And for many here tonight, it may well be the case that you are still the way you were born. Now, from verse 9 here uh, in our text, we see the excellency of this chariot that is spoken of here. King Solomon made himself a chariot of the wood of Lebanon. And you notice that Solomon, King Solomon, builds this chariot for himself. And the chariot is made of the wood of Lebanon. Now, the wood of Lebanon is very significant because it is referring to the particular kind of wood that this chariot that Solomon built for himself 
that particular kind of wood is cedar. Lebanon is renowned for its cedar trees, and what is particularly impressive about cedar wood is that it is strong, and that it is durable, and that it is rot-resistant. It is everything that this chariot needs it to be extremely strong. And this chariot was uh, built uh, by King Solomon himself in order to last. Now, that chariot is the chariot of the gospel of the Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. And that brings us uh, quite naturally onto our first point here this evening, which is a strong gospel. A strong gospel. You will all know that the gospel has been in existence uh, from the very moment sin came into the world when God said to the serpent, to our arch enemy, the devil, he said in the presence of Adam and Eve, I will put enmity between thee and the woman, between thy seed and her seed. It shall bruise thy head and thou shalt bruise his heel. Now that first, that very first gospel promise is speaking, is speaking of the coming of the Savior himself into this world, conquering the powers of darkness and Satan himself. And he conquers Satan in his own death. He conquers Satan in his own death. And in that, he builds the gospel. He builds the gospel. And it's a strong gospel. It stands permanently as long as sinful man is on this earth. The gospel is going to stand regardless of every opposition that is made against it by anyone or anything. It stands strong like the cedars of Lebanon for strength. Now, getting back to Satan. Satan always tries to attack the gospel. He attacks every word of God. And it was not very long that Adam was in innocency before Satan attacked what God had said by casting doubts upon what God had said when Satan said to Adam and to Eve, hath God said, he wants to cast doubts into your mind and into my mind. He wants us to query and to question what God has said. He wants us to question what is inspired and written by holy men of God as they were moved by the Holy Ghost and what we have before us here. He wants us to question all of that, to cast doubts upon it, 
because the last thing that Satan wants to see is sinners like yourselves ever coming to know the Savior that he has provided for us. And so, when he makes known the way of salvation through his word and by his spirit, this is the greatest and the clearest and the simplest truth that is uh, written in the word of God. The way of salvation through a crucified and a risen Savior. That is being made known for us in no uncertain terms. So that even those who try to dispute it in whatever way they might try and in whatever way they might do, it cannot be disputed. It is so plain and so clear from Genesis 3 verse 15, all the way up to Revelation 22, verse 22. So clear, so unmistakably clear, the very words of truth themselves, they cannot be uh, in any way lacking in clarity. And therefore, therefore, there is no excuse for any one of us no excuse for anyone to be able to say that he or she never understood the Bible, that it was just too much above them, too much above us. Yes, it is the mind of God re revealed to us through his own beloved Son, who is the personal word. But nevertheless, it is revealed so plainly and with such uh, clarity and perspicuity that no one can be in any doubt of the one who has come to save, to seek and to save that which was lost. And even today, this is the same old gospel with the same old salvation that has been the instrument in the hand of the Holy Spirit to save many before you, and to save all who will come to be saved. If there is a willingness with yourself to be saved, you will be saved, because he is more than willing to save all those who come. And so we read here Solomon made himself a chariot, verse 9. Now, Solomon is a very eminent saint in the Old Testament scriptures. And he is used to point us to a greater than himself in this third chapter of the Song of Solomon. He is the human author of this book, but primarily the author of all the books of the Bible is the Holy Spirit himself. But Solomon is used here in the Old Testament to bring the Lord Jesus Christ clearly before each 
one of us. He is what theologians call a type of Christ. And so when we read here in verse 9, Solomon made himself a chariot, we are thinking of Christ making himself a chariot. Christ making himself a chariot. Christ, the Lord Jesus Christ. He is all over the pages of the Bible. You cannot read a chapter and hardly a verse in any chapter of the Bible without Christ being in it. If only we had the eyes to see him in it. It is all pointing towards him. It is all about him. It is all about him. He is the very center of the gospel, the very substance of the gospel. And we read here that Christ made himself a chariot, the chariot of the gospel, the chariot of the gospel. Now, how did Christ make the chariot of the gospel himself? Solomon took all his measurements, all the specifications for the building of his chariot, but the Lord Jesus Christ built his chariot to the very highest speck. You folk who are car enthusiasts, perhaps when you go out to buy a new car, you'll want the car that uh, has the highest speck and the highest speck that you yourself can afford. Solomon built himself a chariot to the highest speck. He used the wood of Lebanon. He used the cedar tree, that strong, long-lasting, permanent wood of Lebanon. It was to the highest speck, and so is the gospel of God's beloved Son. It is to the very highest speck indeed. Because it took no ordinary man in order to uh, uh, save sinners. It took no ordinary man at all to save sinners. Because there was no ordinary man that could. But we read of him, particularly in the Westminster Shorter Catechism, that he was not born by ordinary generation, like you and I are, from sinful parents, but by extraordinary generation. That is how he was born, so that when he was born in your nature and mine, he was altogether free from sin. One of the best commentators, one of the Puritans, puts it like this, that he had no heavenly mother. And at the same time, he had no earthly father because he was born by extraordinary 
generation by the power of the Holy Spirit in the womb of his earthly mother. So that holy thing that was born of her was free from sin. So we've got this person, the Lord Jesus Christ, and he's perfectly holy in his humanity, and he's infinitely holy with respect to his person as the divine Son of God. And he builds himself the chariot of the gospel. He builds himself the chariot of the gospel. And how does he build it? To the very highest speck. Because he had to take the great infinite weight of God's justice upon himself in order to save sinners having to bear that infinite weight of God's justice upon themselves, which they can never do. And therefore, a lost eternity has to go on forever and forever and forever. It's not as if there will come a time when any who ends up in a lost eternity will have exhausted that infinite wrath of God. And therefore, it has to go on forever for each and every one who end up in that fearful and dreadful place. Now, you'll notice here, uh, Solomon made himself a chariot. You remember when um, Abraham was commanded by God to offer up his son, his only son, whom he loved, Isaac, on Mount Moriah. You remember that? You will remember that they set off on their journey to Mount Moriah. Uh, he had uh, his ass uh, with all the various necessities that he needed for the journey uh, uh, roped to his ass. He had his servants and a, um, he had a Isaac uh, with him also. He had uh, the, the wood for a burnt offering uh, that he was to offer on Mount Moriah. He had the fire and he also had a knife. But Isaac asked a very important question and a very solemn question indeed. And it's this. He asked Abraham, where is the lamb for a burnt offering, Father Abraham? And Abraham turned round and said, God will provide himself a lamb. That's what we've got here. Solomon or Christ made himself a chariot. And it's the chariot of the gospel through his own self, through his own death, the sacrifice of himself. And so you see how the emphasis is entirely upon the Lord Jesus Christ himself 
as the Lamb of God that God himself has provided for the salvation of sinners. And therefore, my friend, that raises questions for you and for me. He is brought forth in order to save sinners of mankind, whoever will, whosoever will, whosoever will, yourself included. There can be no one excluded from that whosoever. It is so all-encompassing that it includes yourself. Yes, you're ruined. Yes, you, you're hell-deserving. But it is for ruined, hell-deserving sinners that the Lord Jesus Christ himself came to save. You're not any worse than the rest. All have sinned and come short of the glory of God, Paul tells us. And so he takes the sins of sinners upon himself. And he dies the death that these sins deserved. And the death that sinners themselves deserve to die for their sins. He takes them to himself and he himself dies for these sins. And it's a work that he undertook in order to save, save sinners like yourself from going down into the second death forever. And it's a work that involved blood, sweat, and tears infinitely greater than that Solomon uh, uh, shed when he himself was building his own chariot. Because every uh, drop of sweat, every tear, and the blood that Solomon shed in building his chariot is that of a mere man, whereas this person is the God-man, the Savior, the Redeemer, and the one who can save us from our sins. Now, whatever view you have of yourself here tonight, I tell you, in spite of what you think of yourself, and in spite of the fact that no one knows you better than you know yourself, apart from the Lord, of course. For no man knoweth the spirit of, them, of a man, but the spirit that is in him. You know yourself better than anyone. But however bad you think yourself to be, there is a great savior for the likes of you. With all your own sins, more than can be numbered, there is a great savior for sinners like ourselves. And that because of the strength 
of the gospel and the saving work of Jesus Christ upon the cross. He was lifted up in order that people like ourselves might look to him and be saved. Secondly here, I want to consider with you a, um, not only a strong gospel, but a free salvation. King Solomon made himself a chariot of the wood of Lebanon. He made pillars thereof of silver. Think of this chariot. Think of the chariot and think of these pillars of silver. There are four pillars of silver. We would think naturally that there would be one on each corner of this chariot. But then there is a covering on top of these four pillars of silver. Notice that in verse 10. That covering uh, would be some uh, uh, cloth covering. A cloth covering. And we read that it's got a particular color. And it's the color purple. It's the color purple. Now, this cloth covering on top of the four pillars is a reminder to us of the blood that was shed in order to save sinners. Notice it's purple. Well, he was wounded uh, for our transgressions, and he was bruised for our iniquities. Perhaps you've jammed your finger at some point, and it's a very uh, painfully sore thing to happen, to jam your finger in a door. You notice when the blood gets bruised, it's a reddish-purple tinge that uh, uh, you evidently see. It's uh, this bruising brings such a reddish purple tinge to your own blood. And that's what we got here in the Savior being crushed by the weight of God's wrath upon him. His own blood is bruised so that it's tinged. It's got this purple color to it. And therefore, what we've got here is this purple, reddish, bruised blood. But underneath you've got these pure silver pillars, pillars of great strength. In some churches you might see pillars going up the sides that support balconies uh, in the church. If these supports were taken away, the balcony would fall right down. These four silver pillars are the power that is in the blood. This is what uh, uh, constitutes the weight that is in the blood, the weight of the blood of Christ, and which is able to save us from our sins. And so we've got this chariot 
and it's covered. It's covered in blood. And this is the gospel chariot. It's all about the cross. It's all about the cross and the salvation that has been accomplished for sinners in and by the cross. It's not just that Christ died, but he looked forward to dying for sinners. He looked forward to it. Notice in the Gospel of John and how it begins, mine hour is not yet come, not once. Mine hour is not yet come, not twice, not three times, but many times. This is the whole purpose of the Gospel. This is the whole purpose of the cross in order that he might save sinners when his hour would come. And you notice also here in verse 10 that uh, on account of this, this whole way of salvation is paved with love. The way of salvation is paved with love. He comes in love. In love for what or who? In love for sinners. He comes for them and he paves the way in order for his coming. And having done the work he came to do, he paves the way from there for sinners to come to him. The veil of the temple is rent at the point when he himself cries on the cross, it is finished. To open the way and to give access for poor, needy, helpless, burdened sinners to come to him. And so this is all paved with love. From eternity past, there is a pavement of love in the gospel. And since the cross and the events of the cross are now past, there is this pavement of love in order for sinners to come to him. Now, you think of royalty and this is all about royalty. This is a royal chariot. Christ is a royal person. And Christ has a royal family. And there is royalty in coming to the Lord Jesus Christ. They are brought from the very uttermost extremity, if you like, in their sins. And they are brought into the royal family of heaven on believing in the Lord Jesus Christ. But you say, well, what right have I got to come? What, what right have I got to come? to such a person as this in order to be saved. You've got every right to come. You've got every right to come. 
If you desire to be saved, you've got a right to come. The warrant for you to believe on the Lord Jesus Christ is his command and his invitation for you to come. He's higher than you. He's superior to you. And you are obliged to obey what he says to you. And what he says to you is, in verse 11 here, go forth. Go forth. That is what he says. Go forth. And behold, in verse 11, King Solomon. If God says through the prophet Isaiah, Look unto me, all ye ends of the earth, and be ye saved, for I am God, and there is none else. What are you going to do? Is that uh, not something to uh, move you to be obedient to it, as it comes from one who is infinitely more superior to yourself? Is it not? Do you not obey those on a human level who have more authority than yourself? And why not obey God who has all authority? Because all authority comes from God. Anyone who has authority over you in this life, their authority is given to them by God. They don't have it in themselves. It is given to them. God has all authority and therefore we obey him. We must obey him. And whether it comes as a command in the prophecy of Isaiah, or whether it comes as an invitation in Matthew chapter 11, verse 28, Come unto me, all ye that labor and are heavy laden, you and I are to obey. You and I are to surrender ourselves to his command and his invitation. That is what we are to do. Now, we read here that um, uh, this way of salvation is paved with love. It's in his love for sinners that the way has been paved for them that the way has been paved for them. It's like when royalty come to Buckingham Palace and the red carpet goes out and they walk in through the front doors on the red carpet. However poor you might feel in yourself here tonight, however many sins you've committed, However, they might be more than you can number. However innumerable they are. And they are. However, you can't remember so many of them. Yet he rolls out the red carpet for sinners to come in to the palace of the king. So that there they might abide. It is for sinners that the gospel has come to us at all. And it came immediately on the first sin that was ever committed in Genesis 3, 15. God himself, 
on that occasion, immediately prepares salvation for sinners. For sinners. And you're a sinner. You're a sinner, and I'm a sinner. And therefore, you are to appropriate this great salvation to yourself as a sinner and come. Thirdly and finally here, and just in a word, I want to consider with you a happy future. And that's really taken from verse 11. Go forth, O ye daughters of Zion, behold King Solomon with a crown wherewith his mother crowned him in the day of his espousals and in the day of the gladness of his heart. Now, the mother here is um, the church, the place where you and I come every Sabbath to hear the gospel. And it is through the gospel and on hearing the gospel week after week after week that you learn more and more about this person. You hear about him. You hear about him. And you learn about his suitability to save sinners like yourself. He saved others sitting beside you. And yet you're still there and you're on a different course from the very person that is sitting beside you. And you've perhaps been like this for many years now. Sitting beside the people of God. Yes, but nevertheless, they are on a completely different course from yourself. And this chariot is on course. It's right on course for heaven. And as the gospel chariot goes forth tonight, it's weaving in and out of each and every individual person in here. And all it takes, all it takes to be espoused to him is to stretch out the empty hand of faith in all of your own sinfulness, in your own lost condition, as you are, and lay hold of him. It's a step of faith. Or a stretch of faith. To step onto this chariot and be saved then you are joined forever to the Lord Jesus Christ through the chariot of the gospel. And you are going onwards and forwards and upwards. But where are you going from? This world, this wilderness, that is where you are going from. In the Song of Solomon, we are told of this wilderness in many different places. It's this fallen world which is under the sentence of God's judgment. And uh, in the world and being of the world, you are totally exposed and open to the wrath of God. But inside of this chariot and with this 
uh, blood-covered canopy on top of you, you are safe for time and for all eternity. And when you come to the Lord Jesus Christ, that brings gladness to his heart. That brings gladness to his heart. When he sees the salvation of a sinner, that causes his heart to be so, so glad and so, so happy. Because that is what he has come in order to do, to bring sinners to salvation. That's the happiest day of their life also. And that's how it's uh, brought before us, in the day of his espousals and in the day of the gladness of his heart. There will be no happier day for you than the day uh, that you yourself come to saving faith in him and trust the whole weight of your own salvation to him for time and for all eternity. And when you do that, you take the crown off your own head and you place it on his. The crown is taken from your own head. You've lived all your days thus far, uh, just suiting yourself as if you can do anything when you want and when you like. But once the sinner comes to faith in Jesus Christ, all the crowns are placed at his feet. He becomes their Lord, their King, their Savior. They are espoused to him. They become his bride, and he, the great bridegroom, and he's on course for heaven. And he's taking all his people with him to heaven. Or you say you might uh, put yourself in great danger if you become a Christian in these days when there is so much hostility to the Christian faith. But look at verse 8 here. Look at the entourage that is round this chariot. There are men of great expertise in battle all around this chariot as it travels through the world. You've got great protection, not merely from men, but from good angels. The angel of the Lord encamps and round encompasseth all those about that do him fear and them delivereth. You have great protection. Great protection, and primarily from the wrath of God himself. Because the directions are so, so different. You can picture this chariot going forward. And so many, like you get at weddings, there will be a great uh, number of onlookers. A great number of onlookers, many of them will just stand and look and admire. But what is needed is 
to look by faith and be saved and admire him for his great salvation. Admire him for his great salvation. Now, will you do that? Will you do that? Because if this chariot is passing you, if it is passing you tonight, and it is every time you hear the gospel and you just stand and admire, all you need to do to be lost is to stay still and do nothing. And yet, you're so close, but at the same time, you're so far if you just stand still and do nothing. I beg you and urge you, and I beseech you to lay hold and to take that step of faith, however, however difficult it might be, just like Moses at the Red Sea, once he took the step of faith, the whole ocean opened up for him. Therefore, you do the same. Step on and go forward. Other words, or otherwise, it will be uh, you to blame. No one else can be blamed when salvation is so freely and openly offered to every single one of us. If you continue to be a Christ rejecter and a God hater, there is no one else to blame but you. Amen. Bless his word to us. Let us pray. Our gracious God, we thank thee for thy word and for the openness of the gospel to us, to each one of us. And we ask that we might be enabled by thyself to trust, for none perish that him trust. Forgive us our sins for his name's sake. Amen.